You're listening to the CLE Foodcast with Lisa Sands, the place for delicious conversation on local food and the people who grow, cook, and share it. Here's Lisa. Thanks, Bill. Welcome to the CLE Foodcast. This is season four, episode 80. I can hardly believe it myself. Thank you so very much for sticking with me. I really appreciate it. This week, my guests are Anna Kiss, Mauser Martinez, and Sam Paskert from City Fresh. That's a CSA farm box program that's designed with everyone in mind. It's flexible, affordable, and intended to improve fresh food access while also building community. I am thrilled to partner with City Fresh, and this episode is part of that partnership. Stay tuned for more details, and please follow the CLE social media channels to learn more about City Fresh. This episode is sponsored by the Mohicans Treehouse Resort and Wedding Venue, recently featured on the Magnolia Channel's Road Trip Eats. I just love this place. They have tree houses, cabins, and a gorgeous site for an outdoor wedding. Situated on 77 private acres in the Mohican Valley near lots of outdoor recreation options. Now, I've stayed at a Mohican's treehouse before, and I cannot wait to go again. It's one of the most unique travel experiences I have ever had. And the best part was that it felt so far away, even though I really wasn't very far from home. The Mohicans is Ohio's premier luxury treehouse resort. Start planning your own dreamy stay now at themohicans.net. And please keep following along the CLE Foodcast social channels. I'm going to take you on my own treehouse journey this summer, and I just know you're going to want to book your own stay. Don't miss out. Head to themohicans.net to plan your luxury treehouse getaway now. Back to our episode. City Fresh Executive Director Anna Kiss Mauser Martinez tells us what sets City Fresh apart from other programs, and Farmer Liaison Sam Paskert tells us how she goes about planning out weekly shares for their 15 pickup locations. You'll also hear why City Fresh is about so much more than a weekly box of vegetables, and I also will tell you my least favorite CSA items. It is a beautiful Saturday, and I am on the grounds of the George Jones Memorial Farm and Nature Preserve in Oberlin. It happens to be affiliated with Oberlin College. Yes, that was pretty obvious, I suppose. And it honestly could not be a better day to talk about a summer of local food. So I'm sitting here with my guest today, Anna Kiss Mauser Martinez, Executive Director of City Fresh. Welcome, Anna. Hi, thank you for having us. And also Sam Paskert, who is the farm liaison for City Fresh. Hello. Oh, hello, Sam. (laughs) Are you just happy that it's summertime, like that you're like a week away from City Fresh starting? That is a terrifying question, actually. Now, why is that that terrifying? Uh, This is about when all the chaos is going to hit. So uh, we're, we're gearing up, but it's a little... It's a little tense. We're, we're figuring it out. We're going to do it. It's going to work. Every year we wonder, how's this going to work? And then it does. Well, you've been doing this a pretty long time. I was originally a City Fresh client starting in 2007. Um, I, was, I used Snap and wanted to access local foods. Uh, I had two small toddlers at the time who are now grown. And um, the next year I became a volunteer and eventually the program coordinator and uh, in 2021, the executive director. So I've just kind of worked my way up through this very tiny organization, which doesn't really have a set ladder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you made one, I would say. (laughs) Yeah, I stuck around is what happened. Yeah. Sam, how did you get involved in City Fresh? 
so I joined City Fresh in the summer of 2021. Uh, it was actually funny because I had seen them hiring for a position earlier in the summer and for whatever reason, I was painting houses at the time and I was like focused on that, but it sounded like a really good opportunity. And then a few months later they were hiring again. Uh, so I took that as a sign from the universe. Yes. And I joined as a like assistant driver, assistant farmer liaison. I was just doing the city routes mm -hmm. um, in the second half of the day. But then last year I took on the farmer liaison role and started, uh, you know, forming these relationships with our growers and designing the shares and um, Ooh, living out it, here. I think it sounds like it would be so fun to design a share. Is it? It is. It is fun. It can be, <laughs> you know, it can be a little stressful sometimes, especially um, as Anakis mentioned, the beginning of the season can be a little stressful because the way Ohio growing seasons work in June, it's a little bit of a, um, it's a little chaotic sometimes. Like berries, for example, are very unpredictable crop to deal with, to try to buy. Mm -hmm. A lot of growers will only grow like a small amount of berries. And so then you have to find other growers to sell you berries. But mm -hmm. um, And well, sometimes it depends on the spring. Like we, for example, this year have had a very like kind of cold, dry spring. And it's posing a little bit of challenges to the upcoming growing season, but mm -hmm. but they deal with it. Like we have stuff coming for the first week. So. Yeah, well, I think that's something that's really important for people to understand about what a um, what a CSA is or what community supported agriculture is. So let's backtrack a little bit. So today we're going to talk about CSAs, which is short, in case you didn't know, it is short for community supported agriculture. We're going to talk about the Northeast Ohio local food system and things like sourcing. And we're also going to talk about food access. So Anakis, I want to start with you. But before we go into the next question, I want to understand your name. Uh, I believe there is an interesting story to that. Uh, yeah, so my name is Anna Kiss Mauser-Martinez. Uh, I was born with all four parts of that name. Um, my last name, Mauser-Martinez, is a hyphenated of my parents. I am married and I don't have a separate name. Anarchist is supposed to sound like anarchist. It was uh, from the Sex Pistols song, Anarchy in the UK. So I am an anarchist. Well, um, and I'm, fam I'm old enough to know that song, so I'm familiar with it. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so it was the, you know, spring of 1979, and uh, it was sort of a joke, uh, and then I was born at home, and there were a lot of people there, and they just started calling me Anakis when I was a girl, so here I am. I'm, um, I mean, we're obviously here to talk about a farm and City Fresh, but that's just such a great story. That's one of those stories that um, I love to unwrap and unearth as part of the CLE Foodcast. <laughs> my parents were organizers, and um, my stepfather, who was a good friend of everyone's, uh, was a punk organizer. He had a radio show. He still has a radio show. So it's been 41 years of radio. Wow. And um, was playing punk rock kind of back before it was cool. Do you think that as a result of your upbringing, you always had a, a heart and an intention to, um, to like rock the system, to serve, to build community? Uh, yes, absolutely. I grew up in communal housing and uh, had a lot of a very large community um, around political things. And uh, I kind of consider myself to have some pretty radical roots. Mm -hmm. um, I was born at home. It was very DIY ethic. We 
had five acres. We had chickens and bees and grew our own food and made big pesto harvests. 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 We had big pesto harvests every, every fall and, you know, just... Um, always centered around my mother's an excellent cook, actually. Uh, I'm not so much. Oh, but I bet you're better than you think. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty, I, can, I can get by, but uh, my husband does most of the cooking. But yeah, so my mom's an excellent cook, and we just did everything ourselves. I mean, we weren't quite like homesteading, but it was definitely a DIY. I, 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 feel, like, I, I feel like you're describing homesteading. <laughs> it was like homesteading light. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, well, that's so interesting. Uh, this is going off on a tangent that I never imagined because I'm really, I mean, we've emailed, but we haven't, you know, talked at length yet. So let's bring what you just told me and your role and how you've developed into your role into what it is about City Fresh that is so interesting to you, but also that you want other people to know about it. It is a CSA, but in my mind, it operates kind of differently than what most people think of a CSA. Is that accurate? Yeah, so City Fresh uses the community-supported agriculture model. Um, when it was founded in 2005, it, it came out of a lot of conversations in the preceding years. Um, sort of a there was a food congress in Cleveland, and there was discussions about food access, uh, but also you know wanting to support small farmers. The thing about small farmers and farmers growing food rather than, say, commodity crops like soybeans and corn, which is most of what's grown in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Ohio has a huge agriculture, is, is a huge agriculture state. Mm-hmm. It's one of the largest in the country, but a lot of what we grow is commodity crops. So finding farmers that grow food is really challenging. Um, and by food, I mean the sort of things that you would see in their raw state in the produce section of the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, carrots and potatoes and broccoli and things of that nature, the things that we're kind of all familiar with. Uh, And doing that on a large enough scale to feed many people is sort of really challenging. Mm -hmm. Uh, They do that in, you know, California, for sure, and in other places, and in the South, and in South America, where we ship food from. Mm -hmm. Uh, anyway, so I know I feel you. It's another whole topic altogether, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It is. I'm like, oh, that's a tangent. <laughs> that's but, another episode. But so they wanted to use this community supported agriculture model was the idea that it would use the share model. How mm-hmm. do we support local farmers while also supporting uh, local eaters? So there was a look at food insecurity and food access and access to nutrient dense foods. So fresh produce in the city and look looking at what at that time was known as food deserts, Mm -hmm. and now we uh, refer to as low access areas, or um, also it's a matter of food apartheid. So these are intentional things that are related to a whole history of racial injustice and economic injustice in America. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is another long topic. So... (laughs) Uh, But the idea of trying to like bridge this gap between eaters who don't have access to fresh local foods and local growers who need a market for their uh, for what they're growing. So the CSA model allowed us to kind of make it so that we would take everything they were growing, you know, that there would be a market for all of the foods and not just, you know, 
broccoli or whatever, mm-hmm. or something that people are familiar with, potatoes, mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Um, but to make sure that everything's being purchased and that everything is also being grown because the more variety you have, you know, the more diverse your you're, the better your soil is going to be, uh, the more you're going to be trying different things. And when one crop doesn't work, you have something else in its place. Mm-hmm. So it's important to to kind of have that diversity of crop. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's related to, Sam, the question I asked you earlier about, you know, or I think I said, it, it must be really fun to design a share. Yes, it probably is. But you are at the mercy of what is available. And that is something that I feel like in the last decade or so, people have gotten more comfortable with understanding the fact that, you know, berries in December are not particularly natural, at least for people who live here, right? And yet we've been spoiled by it. Um, but the supporters of CSAs, the shoppers at farmers markets and things like that here, largely, I think, understand the seasonality of things. But that definitely plays a role in what you do and how you decide or how you're able to ultimately settle on what comes up in each share every week, right? Yeah. And actually, the growers that we work with are very, um, they're very accommodating and like cooperative in terms of like planning specific things that we would like to see in the upcoming season. Mm -hmm. An interesting thing about this past year is that we've had this new program uh, called the PRX program, the produce prescription program, where we go to the growers that we go to during our normal growing season, but this time also over the winter, and we make shares for family, low-income families in Lorain County who have an infant at home. Interesting. So this is to combat, combat um, high infant mortality rates. And it's been really cool to see the farms in the wintertime because there's actually so much stuff that's still growing in, in the hoop, winter. In hoop houses and things like that? or just Sometimes, but okay. sometimes just still in the field. Oh, um, interesting. Like spinach, for example. Yeah. There's is, some, well, there's some hardy spinach, right? I mean, and the, the greens, right? The root vegetables, things like that. What else? Uh, what else? Well, so let's, let me ask a question about that PRX program. Is that focused on maternal health, right? The health of the mom, because the mom is maybe breastfeeding, or is it just for family health, would you say? It's part of the state initiative for infant mortality um, or infant vitality state initiative. And um, it's just a program for pregnant and breastfeeding mothers. It's I think it's shortly afterwards, but they're looking to improve birth um, gestational age and birth weights. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the one of many projects uh, par- as part of that statewide initiative, and that's where the funding comes from. We work in conjunction with Produce Perks Midwest and Avon Point Hospital Cleveland Clinic mm-hmm. to um, to deliver this, and we're just sort of the vendor for the program right now. Is that a pilot program? Is that something that's being rolled out? Uh, now to maybe eventually be larger or tell me about that. Produce Prescription has been a program that has kind of existed off and on for a number of years in various iterations. Um, The Infant Vitality Program, which was a state initiative, I think is much more recent. Um, So the application of this is specific. 
usually they've done, I think, diabetes patients in the past, and it's been at different hospitals. It was in conjunction with Metro at one point. There's there's just been different iterations. Neighborhood Family Practice has given out coupons at different points. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different places and a lot of different iterations for the programming, and this is a new one. We will be launching, I believe, soon a um, new partnership, again, with Protus Perksman West and Cleveland Clinic to um, do one based on diabetes and prediabetes patients. Mm -hmm. And that's statewide. Mm -hmm. So we're not the only folks doing this. There's folks in Cincinnati and in Dayton as well. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, so I think this is a good uh, jumping off point for some of the things that your team at City Fresh thinks about and talks about. Um, You know, I talk to a lot of people in the agriculture field from, you know, small farmers to uh, vendors at markets, um, you know, farmers that I know personally, like Sasha Miller at Purple Brown Farmstead and, you know, people like that. But I I don't often hear this emphasis on the um, on low income folks, people that have limited means, people that are have some circumstances um, that really, truly limit them from getting healthy, nutritious food. Uh, would you talk a little bit about the conversations that you have at City Fresh that are part of your mission? So one of the fundamental aspects of our founding was this notion that we should build uh, local food access for everyone and not just have it be a boutique experience for the wealthy. And that the people that are hardest hit by uh, nutrition-based disease are those who are the most marginalized. And so that's sort of the emphasis that we focus on a lot. And our program is built around that. So we have tiered pricing. We offer two sizes of shares so that they can be for, which is kind of typical to CSAs where there's a smaller size or a larger size. Um, But we also participate in a lot of nutrition incentive programming, uh, largely around Produce Perks, which Produce Perks is Ohio's nutrition incentive program. There are several others. We've participated in the Senior Farmers Market Nutrition Program, as well as the We Take WIC Perks. But Uh there's several different um, iterations of nutrition incentive programming. And our model is really a nutrition incentive program because we are discounting the pricing of our shares in order to focus on folks who have would otherwise not have access to these foods. And we also accept SNAP. So Mm -hmm. that is a huge part of it. And our SNAP users get um, a discount that is greater than the regular low income discount that we offer. They get a half off of the full retail price. Mm -hmm. It's very affordable. I mean, for a SNAP customer, for a SNAP user. If you're listening and you're not sure what SNAP is, um, it means that you're you're probably doing pretty okay. But uh, SNAP is Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. It is a government program. It's something that maybe like 30 years ago we called food stamps. So it is a supplement for people of a certain um, income level. Uh, and uh, there were actually some extra SNAP benefits as part of the pandemic. Uh, And those recently ended, those ended in March. So people are, low income people are actually still reacting and sort of adjusting their monthly expenditures as a result of those SNAP benefits um, that were brought, the the extra SNAP benefits from the pandemic going away. So you see a lot of people using SNAP? 
We we do, and we also saw a huge jump during the pandemic, um, partially because people got extra funds, partially because uh, a lot of communities who would not otherwise, there were a lot of folks who would not otherwise have gotten SNAP, who got pandemic EBT, which was, so EBT is electronic balance mm-hmm. transfer. Basically, it means that you get your SNAP dollars on a card. Yes. But... Um, So people whose communities had a certain threshold of folks living in poverty, they are all eligible for free lunches. And so through the schools, in order to sort of pay, make sure that kids were able to access food during the pandemic when they were not in school, everyone in those communities were given preloaded SNAP cards, basically, but they Mm -hmm. were called pandemic EBT. Mm -hmm. So it was a little separate, but very intertwined. And we saw a lot of use of pandemic EBT cards for our shares, which was really exciting because some of the people who got it just because of the nature, the virtue of being in the communities that they live in were able to kind of think consciously about where that money was going to go and taking it to City Fresh. So we saw people who were like, I saved this to use it for City Fresh because I know then my dollars are going to stay here in the community and that uh, they're going to benefit um, Northeast Ohio. Yeah. And local farmers. So yes. then it's all cyclical. It's all related, right? Yes. I mean, uh, where you spend your dollars matters because that's helping a farmer, you know, be able to, you know, be more sustainable and plan for the future and grow. And, and, and that's something I wanted to talk about. A lot of CSAs require a investment upfront, you know, $500, $700, you know, and, and granted, you know, you do get many, many weeks of shares for that, but that, lump sum up front is very out of reach for a lot of people. And and you operate a little bit differently. How does that work w- related to your farmers? So our shares are week to week, which means that you can jump in or jump out at any time. And it's been that way since our inception. I personally don't have my entire summer's grocery budget in February. So you know, many folks do not. And those, again, who are in the most marginalized community and don't have access to these things really do not have that kind of thing up front. So we wanted to make it so that it was as accessible as possible. And we like to say that we're kind of the most flexible farm box CSA-esque program in town because of that. You can go on vacation or you can take a break when you get overloaded with zucchini. Um, Well, and that eliminates waste. I mean, I've I've done a number of CSAs. And to be honest, as a small two person household at this point, um, I would say I do a pretty good job of I I cook a lot and summer I cook a lot more. But um, I have to say, I I sometimes feel like the abundance leads to waste. And it just causes tremendous guilt on my part. I don't like it. I did start composting. Uh, thanks to, you know, talking to the guys at Rust Belt Riders and all that. I I actually compost myself in my yard. But, you know, I still don't want food that someone has produced and made and toiled over to not go into my stomach. Like there's something just really unseemly about that for me. Well, I have an answer to that, too, because we do want you to be able to take a break when you need to. But we also want you to buy the food. Yeah. So I think it's a little disingenuous to say that you never composted a zucchini that came all the way from Peru in February. No. Or bought a bag of spinach that turned to soup two weeks later when you forgot to ever open it. Guilty. Yeah, we all do that. (laughs) We all do those things. And I am guilty of letting a kohlrabi turn to a withered mess in the bottom of my crisper drawer every single season, I'm pretty sure. 
Except for when my husband made kohlrabi fritters that one summer. That was really good. He got really into that. Kohlrabi is just elusive for me. I haven't jumped on the kohlrabi train there yet. There are ways. You will find it. <laughs> if you don't like a vegetable, you're just eating it wrong. I, I believe that. I actually do believe that. My husband Unless doesn't believe that, but I believe it. cilantro or um, peppers and you have some kind of like genetic predisposition. Oh, I thought you were going to be a cilantro hater just oh, now. Oh, no, I'm a cilantro file, but I do believe that there are yes. certain people that when they eat beets, no matter if it's in a chocolate mm-hmm. beet cake or mm-hmm. whatever, all they taste is dirt. And I think it's genetic. That's oh, that's my interesting. Theory. Yeah. Well, I, think I, have, like I mean, I have a friend that's allergic to all nightshades and that's a lot. Like she's like, that's really, even when you go out to a restaurant, that is a very hard allergy to deal with. Um, so I often feel really bad for her. And then it's even hard like now because cocktails are so weird and there's like stuff and they're like, oh no, there's tomato in that. Oh no, there's citrus in that. Oh no, there's cinnamon in that. And she's just like, Ugh, you know, can't have beer either. But anyway, that's another story. Sorry, Beth. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead, Sam. What do you have to say? And that's another cool thing about City Fresh is some people, it's not ideal to them that they can't choose exactly what goes in their uh, share at each week. But It's actually a really cool thing because it kind of pushes you to cook with different vegetables that you may otherwise not be, like kohlrabi. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about kohlrabi before last year, but I made a pretty good kohlrabi slaw. Right. And kohlrabi, when you grate it, it actually kind of changes its whole thing, I think. Yeah. Like, right? I guess you can roast kohlrabi. I have had it at a restaurant and I have loved it. It's just one of those things I just never get around to making myself. I'm going to confess my other one that I just cannot embrace is I cannot embrace patty pan squash. What? I know, <gasps> right? Well, what am we I doing? love patty pan. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> I, I kind of like every other squash, but I just, there are these little like a flying saucer looking things and they're very hard and I don't know, maybe what am I, you don't peel them, right? You're supposed to roast them whole. Is that the deal? They're a summer squash. Yeah. They're not a winter squash. So you can eat the skin. Yeah. Ah. Uh, but you can, you just use it like a zucchini. Do you? Yes. <laughs> it's not a winter squash. It's a summer squash. <sighs> you right. use it like a crook neck or a zucchini. It's the same. It's like literally the same vegetable. Okay. I shred it up and put it in pasta sauce. Oh, there's well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to look forward to some patty pan squash and I'm going to keep you on speed dial because when I see one of those in the share, I'm going to have to get a little help. I put them in eggs. So that's okay. I've never heard of that. Oh, no, you can do anything with eggs. Like (laughs) veggie scramble, the any whatever's left in the bottom of your crisper drawer. Yeah. Vegetable frittata. Oh, frittata. Okay. We literally have a recipe. That's the recipe. Yeah. It's called bottom of crisper drawer. (laughs) Bottom of the fridge. Before everything turns to a soupy mess. I feel you. I feel you. You know, I think that you guys have done a lot for... And this is something I hope that people hear in this interview today. I think you've done a lot for flipping the farm box model on its head and making it a point to say it's not just for the wealthy. It is not a bougie thing. It is food, which is the most basic foundational thing for everyone and everyone deserves it. And that's something that I think we lose sometimes our food culture. I love you guys probably do too. You love looking at food. Food is fun. Food is creative. But when we start to sort of like worship at the altar of beautiful food in the wrong way for the wrong reasons, it's it's really bothersome because when we look especially thank you social media, right? But like all of these beautiful dishes, all of these things, all of these experiences, look what I'm eating, look what I'm having. We're all guilty of it to some degree. I know I am. But the percentage of people 
that experience food in that way in the world is so minuscule. And we don't think about truly how lucky we are. What we have here is an embarrassment of riches and we have to respect it. I think that there's, there's lots of things that I want to to say to that. <laughs> well, anarchist, anarchist, I would expect nothing less. Uh, so I think that we all do experience food in that way. I think everyone does. Everyone has, we center food in all of our celebrations. We center, everybody in the world does. Everybody centers food for their harvest feasts, for their holidays, mm -hmm. for their, their birthdays or whatever mm -hmm. it is. So as long as you have access to a holiday ever, food is at the center You're of right. that. Um, and that is really important when we talk about food cultures too. So everyone's bringing their own perspective. I think it's really important for us to center local foods for a number of reasons, most of which are environmental, but many of which are economic, and um, a lot of which are really about community. So we, we have sort of five core tenets here, nutrition, community, um, economic justice, environmental resilience, and social equity. So, you know, we're trying to sort of level the playing field with access to nutrient-dense nutrient foods, which is not to make any judgment about what is healthy or what is not. It's about making sure that we have good nutrition. So I don't care if you cover your kohlrabi in cheese and butter, as long as you're eating some fresh, locally grown vegetables, because uh, that's actually the best way to do it. I was just going to say, I'm going to make a note of that. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> if you just put enough butter and cheese on anything and it's delicious. Um, Unless you're lactose intolerant, but there's always something. <laughs> there's always something. <laughs> so, you know, we, we add fat for flavor. That's really important. That's important in every food culture in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but we still want to make sure that those things are bringing the nutrients that we need to make our bodies run just to just as a matter of survival, as a mm -hmm. matter of calories. But beyond that, you know, the way that our um, economy has been shaped is we're shipping all these things in from very far away. The average meal travels uh, on average 1,500 miles. So from wherever it was grown to your dinner plate. And that means that some things come even further. Like I said earlier about zucchini that grew in Peru and you mm -hmm. get those in uh, in February in the grocery store. Peru's pretty far away from Cleveland. Yeah. I saw apples from New Zealand once um, at a very bougie gourmet food store and it was out of season, you know, but we apples are kind of staple. If you have kids, right, you're feeding your kids apples a lot. And I just remember picking it up and seeing New Zealand and I was like, WTF. I put it down. I didn't, I was like, I don't even want an apple that's come from New Zealand. That was weird. I get it. It was in season in New Zealand when it was coming here, but I just was thinking about that journey and I just, I lost my interest in that apple. You know what they do with fish? They catch fish here, ship it to China to be frozen, and then ship it back to be sold in Costco. I've heard that uh, with other animals and things, but I didn't think about that. I don't think I knew that about fish. Yeah, most fish is... Where is the logic in that? Do you think about that all the time? It's cheaper hmm. because we've just made this economic model that ship puts everything in a shipping container. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um, it's cheaper to uh, exploit labor in China where they can process and freeze it quickly. Mm. Um, I don't think we need to get into the <laughs> exploitation of labor necessarily. My name's already anarchist and I will <laughs> go on a very long journey on that. But I do want to return to this yes. point about 
that I was making. Community. About community and about... (laughs) So the reason that we need to invest in local foods, though, is Mm -hmm. because we are seeing the effects of climate crisis all over. Right now, it's, what, 86 degrees in Ohio on Mm -hmm. June 3rd, and we haven't had rain in a couple of weeks. That weather pattern is part of a larger pattern, Mm -hmm. and that is affecting farmers directly. And if they don't learn the skills of adjusting to that, then they don't then that knowledge goes away. Mm-hmm. Then, then there is no expertise on the matter here. And as we saw during the pandemic, when our uh, supply chains got interrupted, you know, people were going in the grocery store and not able to find things. Mm-hmm. And we saw a really big boost where people wanted to participate in local foods and also didn't want to go into a grocery store mm-hmm. or necessarily stand next to each other very tightly at a farmer's market or some such. So we, we did see a big, a bit of an uptick uh, in participation in our program. But I think since then, things have gotten a little bit back to whatever new normal we're at. Mm-hmm. And um, we've, we've seen a downturn. But it has been true that this was important for a very long time. We know that the effects of climate crisis are coming for us. Mm-hmm. We know that we have surpassed all of the, you know... Um, the measures by which it wasn't going to affect us. Mm-hmm. We've long since done that. I think there's seven of eight metrics, and I think maybe even the eighth one was interesting. recently surpassed. Um, so this is happening, and if we only grow corn and soybean, if we don't invest in our soil, which means not growing the same thing in the same place for long periods of time, Um, If we don't pay attention to how we irrigate, Mm -hmm. if we don't pay attention to our tree canopy, um, if we don't pay attention to the invasive species that are growing up in our fields, if we don't deal with these things, there won't be food here. So this is an investment in infrastructure for the future, Mm -hmm. for our children, for our grandchildren, and so on and so forth. If we don't invest, infrastructures that are not used go away. Mm -hmm. If people don't ride the bus, Mm -hmm. the number of people riding the bus uh, means that they don't have as many people stop. They don't have as many buses stopping Mm -hmm. if people aren't doing it. Mm -hmm. So if we don't use it, it goes away. And we're trying to sort of invest in making sure that there is something here. Mm -hmm. And it also helps conserve the land um, in the fight against climate crisis. So if you're paying attention to all of these things, then you're thinking thoughtfully about where water goes. We are thinking very thoughtfully about what we're putting into that soil and where that's going. So it affects lake health. Mm-hmm. It, affects, mm-hmm. it affects all of the waterways. Um, so there's just, there's a lot of interconnected things and we can't do that and we can't fix those problems without each other because we cannot rely on the same systems that got us here. So, you know, 75 to 100 years of industrial agriculture mm-hmm. to, to rescue us. Mm-hmm. We have to be self-reliant. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that it really does go back to this DIY ethic of doing it ourselves. And we have to do that together. And mm-hmm. the only way we can do that is by building community mm-hmm. and by connecting people in uh, the city mm-hmm. to people who are growing food and making sure that they have a um, 
a connection mm-hmm. and an understanding of how they're interrelated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and one of the ways you do that is with, uh, right now you have 15 locations mm-hmm. where people can do a city fresh pickup. Um, some of these are suburban. Some of these are a little more far reaching. I know you go pretty far West, like where we are now, you go to like Euclid and Collinwood and South. I think you stretch to about old Brooklyn, mm-hmm. if I recall. Um, now some of those communities are, um, what was the word you used other than food desert? Low, they're just low access, areas. low access areas. So some of those areas definitely are low access areas. Some of those are not, um, are you looking at increasing? Is it your goal to increase some stops? Is that something you see in your future? We would like to increase the number of people visiting the stops that exist. Um, we, okay. we are, to, to harken back to the community-based part of it, is mm-hmm. uh, we do need folks to do their part and come make it a little easier for us as we try to take this the food from one area to another. Okay. The logistics of it are kind of a nightmare. Well, <laughs> we would love to make it easier. I know that we've all gotten very used to things being delivered to our door. Uh, right, for sure. I know that was, that's probably one of the downsides of, well, it's not even that it was a downside, right? We needed it at one point, but now it's, it's pretty, yeah. I you, think it's been pretty um, pervasive and uh, problematic for a long time. For a long it, time. Yeah. So you that was you stated your goals very very well um, and we did talk a lot these are big issues they're not small issues um, I actually think you did a really great job summarizing them for the purposes of this conversation but since you just said that you would like to see more people supporting the stops that you do have more people participating in city fresh it it's, sounds like there are so many upsides to me so let's go back and talk about that you have two levels uh, like basically a small and a large Yes. So we I'll, let yep. me do the, do, the, the blurb. do the blurb. And then we're going to talk about, uh, Sam, we're going to talk about like where you're sourcing, what's looking good for this summer and, you know, sort of your philosophy on building a share. Cool. Okay. Sam's like thumbs up. Yep. Let's do it. All right. Um, so we have two sizes of shares, a family share, which feeds three to five people, their vegetables for the week, uh, and a single share, which feeds one to two people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we offer those at both a regular income price and a limited income price. We use the honor system so nobody has to turn in any paperwork to tell us that they're poor. Um, I've often qualified for that myself and it's it's what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also accept SNAP and we participate in nutritional uh, incentive programming to make that even more accessible for everyone. Uh, the family share usually includes 11 to 15 items, and the single share includes seven to nine items. Um, And we have 15 stops throughout Cuyahoga and Lorain counties, nine of which are located in low-access areas. We have always focused on making sure that we have sort of a pretty good match of low-access areas to uh, more suburban areas. So sometimes those larger, those stops in the suburban areas will sort of help offset the cost of the low-income areas. Mm -hmm. Um, But we want to make sure that it's there, that it's walkable, Mm -hmm. that it's accessible, that we're hitting places that don't have uh, grocery stores or fresh food that's Mm -hmm. like really available. And you run largely on volunteers. We have about a hundred or so volunteers every year that help uh, dis- do those distributions. And that's how I started as well. Um, after I 
was a client, I became a volunteer and just, I volunteered for six years before I ever worked here. And those community distributions are important for a lot of reasons, not just coming and getting their box of food. Yeah. So this is a place where you can go and say, what is this funny looking thing? This patty pan, this kohlrabi. (laughs) Um, It's where we all learn what garlic scapes are. Uh, mm-hmm. And we have those conversations. We're going to have all those conversations starting on June 13th. We'll be out there saying the same thing over and over again. What mm-hmm. a garlic scape is, how to use it. Um, and what's really cool is that this is a place not only to talk about what the vegetables are and to learn new things and to trade recipes and to kind of get to know your neighbors, but you also get to know your neighbor's children and their dogs and their partners. <laughs> um And we see the same people come back year after year. So we have watched children grow up. We've had shareholders who have passed, which is always really like heartening, Um, not heartening, disheartening, always very bittersweet to, um, to, to see people who have had a loss. We've watched people move away. We've watched people move back. Bone breaks coming back. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, it, be, it becomes bone breaks. Bone breaks. Back. Someone named Bone Break is coming back. That's all you got to know. No, it, it's important. I do think, again, um, we I've spent a lot of time now looking forward and not not looking back at COVID. But I do think if there are were some upsides, I do think we learned to rely on each other in a little bit of a different way. I think we a lot of us realize the importance of knowing your neighbor, borrowing stuff, you know, um, looking out for each other. And um, when we couldn't be together in the way that we wanted to, I think we got to miss it. So I hope that people appreciate, you know, whether they're choosing to go again out to a farm market or a little farm store or a farm stand or, um, or a city fresh pickup. I, I hope that people are, are, are taking the time to not just go pick up a box and get back in their car. I would hope that's not the case. Oh, we definitely, we have long lost friends run into one another. Um, it's, it's so fun. And let's talk about the, um, oh, good, Sam. Um, and Anik has mentioned that one of our important aspects is like resilience in the face of food scarcity and climate change. And the Fresh Stops actually help with that too, because like in addition to the recipes and just hanging out with people, we a lot of people also share their like canning techniques or like how they preserve food. I know nothing about that, but the amount of times my friend Pam at one of the Fresh Stops has told me how to can tomatoes, I probably could do it tomorrow and it would hopefully it, turn out it fine. Is, it is important. <laughs> and I have to tell you, I, I only like, what's it called? Like, I only liked quick pickle, but I don't can. But Same. it's kind of, I did buy a canning set like with like six jars and stuff during the pandemic. And I just, I never got around to doing it. And I just have this inherent fear about doing it wrong. You know what I mean? I totally know <laughs> what you mean. And I'm trying to get over that because, yeah, like also too, um, I don't actually think we've mentioned this yet in the in our discussion, but most of our growers are Amish. I do want to find out who your growers and are. Let's let's talk they about this. Tell me so many things all the time about like, oh, making kefir or kefir, like that's not that difficult. And I'm like, what? Like and they tell me how to do it like it's the most basic thing, and I'm like, okay. Right. I'll have to write that down. So so you're right now about a week, you are a week away from starting. Mm-hmm. Uh so what are you doing right now, Sam? You are talking to farmers, you're meeting with farmers. Do you already know what's in that first box? 
More or less, yeah. Uh, if you would like a preview. I'd like a give you an example of what people might find in that first box. Understanding, of course, that being agriculture, things change. Definitely. Uh, you shouldn't assume that just because you're seeing on Instagram that strawberries are out there, that there's going to be strawberries in there. That might not be the case. You got to be a little bit more open minded when you shop this way. So tell me a little bit about what you're thinking about. Uh, well, for the first week, we will hopefully have strawberries we will have strawberries there will be strawberries that's pretty cool so we'll have strawberries uh we'll have local honey really Mm -hmm. now that's not something you see very often in a csa i don't feel we do that often on the first week uh we'll do honey or jam or something because that first week can be really hard to fully fill out the shares with just produce Mm -hmm. so strawberries honey garlic scapes that Annika's mentioned, which are really yummy. They're just the green part of the garlic plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and spinach we'll probably have. Mm-hmm. And then there's a few items that could be the first week or second week. Um, mm-hmm. But I've heard about cabbage, beets, lettuce, radishes, okay, peas. Yum. Yeah. Green onion. Yeah, we'll have green onions the first week, too. Okay, yeah. Trying to think if I'm free. It looks good. Anything. It sounds good to me. I'm in. I love yeah. it. Well, we're going to spend some time throughout the summer highlighting some of your stops. We're going to talk about what's here. I'm going to get some shares and share them and cook oh, with them. So I'm going to commit right now publicly that I'm going <laughs> to make something with kohlrabi. And I'm not just going to chunk it. I'm not going to just cut it into chunks and roast it because that's, I mean, that's like, that's easy, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to, I could cover it with cheese, I guess, and, and bake it. <laughs> kohlrabi pizza. Kohlrabi roasted is fine. No, I want to make, I want to challenge. I'm going to challenge. Actually, the patty pan will be the challenge for me. Anakis, any uh, parting thoughts about City Fresh and what you want people to know about this really far-reaching, community-minded organization? I think the, the, the biggest takeaway is that this is about eating not just deliciously, but consciously and with the larger community in mind. And with all of our core tenants, I think that we're just trying to solve all of the world's problems, one vegetable at a time. All right. So if you've been wanting to explore CSA or a Farmbox program and you want to get connected to the local food ecosystem and directly benefit your community and really touch and insert yourself in all of these issues we've been talking about today, visit cityfresh.org, read more about them, get familiar with what they do, how they operate, and realize that it is a very different model than some of the other CSAs. So if you haven't felt like you found the right thing for you, you've got 15 stops to choose from, and I'm pretty sure this is flexible, it's delicious, it's healthy, and I think you're gonna feel really good about supporting City Fresh. So again, cityfresh.org. My guest today, Anakis Mauser Martinez and Sam Paskert from City Fresh. Thanks for being here today, you guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. The CLE Foodcast is a project of Fork and the Road Productions. My sound engineer is Bill Connors. I also want to say thanks to Chef Douglas Katz and the Katz Group of Restaurants for being a sponsor of the CLE Foodcast. Make sure you check out Doug's restaurants when you can and tell him you heard about them on the CLE Foodcast. I just spent a gorgeous night with a friend on Amba's patio and I think you need to go there too. Until next time, stay hungry, be kind, and always, always set a bigger table.